Hey folks, this is Charlotte Clymer. You are listening to a brand new episode of Charlotte's Web Thoughts. This is the audio slash podcast version of my actual blog, Charlotte's Web Thoughts on Substack.com. You can go subscribe to that at charlotteclymer.substack.com. It is completely free. All you need is an email. It takes less than 10 seconds. I don't spam. I don't sell your email. It stays with me and it helps me out immensely. Really, really helps me out. So please consider going to subscribe, charlotteclimber.substack.com. November 9th, 2021. We will never avoid culture wars ever. This is a long, long essay. So I apologize in advance. It's probably going to take 15 to 20 minutes. Let's start here. You open this for the same reason most others did. Putting aside your own feelings on culture wars, you're just plain confused and even worried after Virginia. And a lot of smart people are making arguments that contradict each other on how the Democratic Party should proceed forward and you don't know who to believe. Whatever you are, Democrat, independent, liberal, progressive, leftist, moderate, anti-Trump conservative, you open this because you correctly judged we are at a crossroads in the Democratic Party. And even if you don't like Democrats, you sure as hell aren't going to support Trump's Republican Party. So you're hoping that the very open debate over quote unquote culture wars and whether or not Democrats should run away or engage on them will somehow smartly resolve itself in the collective before midterms escalate after the holidays. And hell, maybe you hate all discussion anyway of culture wars, and you're wondering why in the hell those of us who talk about them so often won't just wake up and realize that Democrats only need a broad economic strategy like the good old Clinton White House days of yore. And maybe, just maybe, you're the rare person reading this who can't stand Republicans for all the obvious reasons of corruption and treason, but low-key, deep down, you really don't understand what you derisively refer to in private or public as quote-unquote wokeness. You don't get this whole transgender thing. You disagree that anti-racism should be taught in schools. And you're just plain sick of political correctness, I say that in quotes, political correctness, run amok, at least in your mind. Here's my attempt at good faith before I continue, with, admittedly, a fair amount of my own suspension of disbelief. Regardless of where you personally fall on so-called wokeness, I'm going to assume that your main critique is electoral. You truly believe that Democrats will fail if they continue to engage with the GOP on culture wars. You're not a bad person and you're not a bigot. You just think Democrats are completely disconnected with the electorate. You are all for equality, but you believe that equality is a luxury concept in a moment when American democracy is at stake and we're at risk of losing everything. Did I hit every note? Did I get all of that right? Okay, with that, Let's imagine a scenario in which the leadership of the Democratic Party wakes up tomorrow and says, damn, the anti-woke crowd is right. 
We have to stop lecturing America on identity and get back exclusively to kitchen table issues. So President Biden and Speaker Pelosi miraculously convince everyone in this scenario that Democrats need to stop talking about anti-racism education and trans kids in sports and only campaign on broad economic policies. You're so relieved. Finally, you think. Democrats got their heads out of their asses and remembered that winning elections is what's important, not defending Drag Queen Story Hour and the 1619 Project. You watch in delight as Democratic candidates nationwide focus primarily on the economy and education and remove their pronouns from their Twitter bio. And for a moment, to you, all seems right. The Democratic Party has sliced out that tumor in the public discourse and gotten back to what really matters in your mind. Within 48 hours, probably fewer, the conservative media machine takes note of the miracle that has occurred, convenes behind closed doors for a quick strategy session, and then introduces a new culture war or something that's reheated in a microwave, rather, that is almost innovative in its bad faith. Now, this could be anything. It really could. But, let me, excuse me, I need to get some water. Oh, goodness. Mm. Dry throat. Okay. It could be anything. I'll just pick something out of the air that's completely absurd on its face, but has just enough oxygen to resonate because of its broad understanding. And I would say the way it harkens back to family values, quote unquote, family values. They decide, and again, this is just one of many, many potential examples, that it's a toxic sign of, quote, wokeness for women to keep their maiden name legally and publicly after getting married. You see it first on social media while scrolling because some garden variety right-wing propaganda site has written it up and you don't really pay any attention at first because who cares? It's ridiculous. Then someone like Ben Shapiro does whatever the hell his corporate benefactors pay him to do and makes a viral video about it. That trends on Twitter and Facebook. Josh Hawley then makes it part of his whole bizarre masculinity is under attack nonsense. Fox News picks it up and starts running a loop of segments asking why Democrats hate men so much. They call it, quote, the war on men. No, in fact, they say it's a war on boys. Democrats hate boys, you see, in this scenario. That's what conservatives are saying, is that Democrats hate boys. They say that Nancy Pelosi believes masculinity is inherently evil and will ban women from taking their husband's last name because feminism is about hating boys. And then Ted Cruz tweets something like, the woke Democrats want to pass legislation that would force all women to revert back to their birth name, but you have to respect the made-up names of transgenders. And by the way, don't ever say the transgenders. I'm just saying that that's something Ted Cruz would say. Before you know it, this is everywhere. The narrative is that the GOP are the only ones standing between the right of a woman to choose her own name and the male-bashing Democrats who hate your boys. Democrats, true to their word, try to avoid this. They keep the focus on a broad economic vision and say nothing in response to this bullshit. But 
it leaves a vacuum, which many conservatives are all too happy to exploit. Speaker Pelosi has asked about this on a Sunday news show, and she demurs, refusing to take the bait and trying to pivot back to the Democrats' new message of broad economic policies that help all Americans. And that clip goes viral as conservative media asks, why is Nancy Pelosi afraid to admit that she wants to make maiden names the law of the land? You realize this shit isn't going away because at Thanksgiving, your racist uncle, who normally harps on Black Lives Matter or immigration, makes it clear to all present that if the Democrats try to change his wife's name, there will be hell to pay because this is why the Second Amendment exists. Despite a compelling economic vision, congressional Democrats dropped five points in generic ballot in the generic ballot polling in less than a month over this completely fabricated issue, and then the panicking starts. It's now metastasized to CNN segments with focus groups of white suburban women who say things like, quote, the Democrats can't force me to change my name, and, quote, what does this communicate to boys? And it isn't revealed until much later that these focus groups are mostly composed of conservative white women with ties to conservative advocacy organizations. But the segment has already gone viral, and that doesn't matter. You're stunned and at a loss of what to do next, because on every level, this issue is completely nonsensical. You know there are prominent conservative women who keep their own last names, and you know there are prominent progressive women who take their husband's last name, and you know there are same-sex married couples who do both. And you point this out to your racist uncle and your next-door neighbor who brings it up randomly and your moderate coworker who otherwise has a steady head on their shoulders but for some strange damn reason falls for this hook, line, and sinker. Charlotte, you might be thinking, this is a ridiculous hypothetical. This would never happen. People aren't this clownish. Let me ask you something. 20 months ago, if someone had told you that a deadly virus would soon rip through the nation and the world and millions of otherwise reasonable people in the United States would honestly make the argument that, most that the most vulnerable among us must be sacrificed for the good of the economy or that videos would go viral of anti-vaxxers parading themselves through Target in an unmasked protest or that a reporter with White House credentials would claim that there's a, quote, satanic tracker in a life-saving vaccine, or that Big Bird would be criticized as a communist for making children a little less afraid of that vaccine, would you have told them that's a ridiculous hypothetical? Of course you would have told them that. I would have told them that. And we would have been wrong. Culture wars are not static. A culture war, a quote, culture war, is whatever the hell you want it to be. And the GOP has mastered the process of shifting the public discourse overnight to make anything a culture war. This year alone, there have been attempts by conservative media to fabricate outrage on everything from Dr. Seuss to Mr. Potato Head, and broader media responds not by contextualizing how this is ridiculous, but instead having a both sides conversation 
on how these culture wars started. Here's the cold truth, folks, and you need to get used to this. We will never get away from culture wars. They have always been and always will be part of the political bloodstream. The Republican Party has openly slandered active duty service members like General Milley and now retired Colonel Vindman. They looked the other way when multiple news outlets confirmed reporting that Trump called American war dead, quote, losers and suckers. And that's our military, the most trusted institution and most respected profession in the country. Here's my point. Nothing is sacred and everything I mean, everything is just one new cycle away from being weaponized into a culture war by the Republican Party. The people whom you're afraid to engage on trans rights and systemic racism and misogyny because you've been led to believe these are distracting culture wars that will hurt Democrats have spent this week, this past week, attacking Big Bird, the puppet on Sesame Street, for making kids feel safe getting a COVID shot. They turn that into a culture war. This is what they do. These people attacking trans children and wondering aloud if kids should learn about racism early, never mind that children of color experience racism very early, and on and on. They're not trying to have a good faith concern addressed. Controversy is the point. Making something controversial is the point. It's on all Democratic leaders to wake up and stop being scared of their own shadow, while the people decrying, quote, wokeness, exercise, direct censorship, and propaganda, and viciously attack marginalized communities, some Democrats seem hell-bent on pandering to them, and I would say most Democratic leaders seem hell-bent on ignoring this completely. And these Democrats do that under the incredibly misguided belief that treating trans people and people of color and other marginalized folks as a distraction from winning elections will somehow clear the way for broad policy discussions that Democrats can win. Talk about naive. I want to be clear about something here. I completely agree that the main message of the Democratic Party should be a vision of specific policies that help all Americans, especially in protecting the working class, Go broad and go big. I'm all for it. I completely supported the infrastructure bill. I praised its passage. I think it's a significant achievement by President Biden and Speaker Pelosi. This isn't about that. It's about the inherent folly of believing that if Democrats just ignore all debates on LGBTQ rights and racial equality and abortion access, that it'll be more than enough to win elections solely on the strength of bold kitchen table policy pitches to voters. Here's another good faith gesture on my part. At the moment, I'm intentionally declining to bring up at length that all those issues I just mentioned are in fact kitchen table issues to marginalized communities. For example, in most of the country, LGBTQ people can still be denied housing. That's like renting an apartment or buying a home. LGBTQ people can still be denied housing solely because they're LGBTQ and most of the country that is not illegal. I would say that's a pretty damn big kitchen table issue. And by the way, those Clinton White House days of yore, those 
days when it seemed like the Clinton White House made the economy wonderful and it was a great time for everybody. Those weren't great times for everyone, particularly impoverished people of color and LGBTQ folks who were sacrificed on the altar of a broad economic, excuse me, economic strategy that, despite its success, white Americans almost immediately forgot because Al Gore just wasn't exciting enough and George W. Bush seemed like he'd be fun to talk with over a beer. Do you get what I'm saying? The 90s were this time of great democratic success in turning the economy into uh, a huge success story. And somehow, some way, by 2000, by the 2000 election, that wasn't enough to get Democrats elected. But I'm going to set that aside for now because I realize that for many people reading this in their heart of hearts, when they hear kitchen table issues, they take it to mean courting white suburban and white working class voters, not what it would mean for all Americans to have safe and prosperous livelihoods. But I'm going to set that aside. Here's the good news. We don't have to choose. It's not trans folks or Big Bird or whatever the hell else that's keeping Democrats from winning. Democrats are keeping Democrats from winning when they cower before bullying and forget why they're Democrats in the first place, to fight for people. Terry McAuliffe didn't lose in Virginia because of trans children or critical race theory. He lost because he completely failed to have a central message other than, I'm not like Trump and my opponent is exactly like Trump. Youngkin talked about education, however much in bad faith, and McAuliffe talked about Trump. And the folks of Virginia really wanted someone to talk about education, however imperfectly. Youngkin gave them what they wanted. Even if McAuliffe had made his whole campaign about, I don't know, raising the minimum wage in the state to $15 an hour, if he had made just that, his issue, his whole central message, that alone would have been enough to defeat Glenn Youngkin. Don't believe me? While McAuliffe was getting roundly beaten because he had no compelling central message other than I'm against Trump, Virginia State Delegate Danica Rome won her third consecutive election as a nationally known openly trans woman in a historically GOP district. Before her election in 2017, that district had gone for the GOP every cycle since 1992. Danica Rome was eight years old the last time that seat had been held by a Democrat. Mr. McAuliffe, a white, cisgender, straight male, and former governor, which, we're told, should equal a vote-getting machine, was outperformed by Delegate Rome, by Danica Rome, in numerous conservative districts. Why? Because he didn't convince voters he cares about them, and she is obsessed with the struggles of her constituents. One second, this is a long essay. I'm going to take a drink of water. Miss Rome would constantly pivot back to everyday constituent concerns, so much so that her opponent, just like the two Republicans she beat before him, simply, excuse me, simply could not break through with messaging, even when he desperately engaged in transphobic attacks on her. We don't have to choose. 
the Democratic Party can have that broad economic message while also refusing to accept the hateful nonsense the GOP shamelessly pushes to divide us and exploit our good faith. But what will never work is burying our heads in the sand and believing that if we just ignore these culture wars, they'll go away. That's never going to happen. They'll just find something else, as they always do.